So, so I put this passage down in the same category as a hospital pass in rugby in terms of good luck explaining that one. I can't see. I can't see. Hold on. I'll come forward. It's right. I can't come forward. There we go. Look at that. I feel, thank you. I can see everyone there. So, yeah. So, um, hello, everybody. Good to see you all again. Uh, I'm just going to set the scene. And then we're going to crack on through this first, and we're going to talk a lot about becoming circumcised and uncircumcised, and what you do if you're married and not married, and all that sort of stuff. No, we're not. Um, all right. So first of all, so Corinth uh, was a very cosmopolitan city, as Trevor said last week. For those who were here last week, Trevor would have told you a little bit about Corinth. Um, in 400 BC, it had a population of apparently 90,000 people. It's a big place, right? In 400 BC. Uh, it was a city, it wasn't a particularly holy city, it was filled with idolatry and immorality. And Paul had just established his church there. And there's a church made up of mainly Gentiles, so not the Roman chaps, the Gentiles. New Christians struggling with their local environment, surrounded by corruption and sin. Um, and they felt the pressure to adapt. And so a little bit like what we as Christians feel today, right? We're surrounded by a secular world that is full of corruption, idolatry, and immorality. And here we are, got to live a Christian life. How do we do that? So what Paul does, he, he, he writes this letter in an attempt to address the questions, heal the divisions within the new church, and sort of just kind of answer their, their problems, which is why there's kind of a bit of a laundry list of stuff going on here. Um, and, he's, and he really tries to confront the Corinthians and trying to tell them, you know, look, you're not meant to blend in. You're meant to stand out. You're meant to live a Christ-centered, blameless life rather than accepting the values that the world brings. Again, relatively familiar with today. Right. So here's, here's the disclaimer bit. This is the cop-out bit, which I'm, I'm grateful to, to throw around. Um, I've only got about 10 minutes, which is a shame because I was hoping to talk a lot about circumcision in my talk. Um, but I'm going to skip that bit, which is, which is a real pity. Um, if you did come to the five, that was all it was about, really. The talk at five was, was all we spoke about. Um, but what, what I be, well, you'll be pleased to know. So the Bible is an amazing book. And uh, we had quite a lot of verses there. But what Paul beautifully did was bookended it. Um, so the, the beginning verse, I'll read, and then the last verse. So the beginning verse is verse 7. Hold on, glass is required. Magnifying glass required, actually. Um, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. And then verse 24 says this. I typed it out in bigger part. What am I doing? Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. So that's the beginning verse and the end verse of all the passages that we read today, verse 7 and verse 24. And in other words, he's basically saying, be who you are and then be where you are. So we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at be who you are, 
and be where you are in a Christian context. So what type of person are you? What type of Christian are you? Maybe you're not a Christian. Businesses spend an awful lot of money trying to find out what characteristics their staff have. The idea being that if you understand yourself and you understand your colleagues and you understand your customers, then you'll have a better understanding of connecting with them, being more productive, being more efficient, selling more stuff. Whatever, that sort of stuff. And in my place of work, we've done a lot of this and lots of personality tests. And basically, they split it into sort of four categories. You've got introvert, extrovert, and you've got data analytics, feelings, people. Four main categories. And this test sort of ask you a bundle of questions and how you answer those questions gives a sense of what your personality is. And, and there's no right or wrong answers, it's just, it's just what you are. So for example, my boss is an introverted chap who hates people turning up late for meetings, loves detail. So not surprisingly, everyone in, in our team, myself included, will turn up on time to meetings, will be very well prepared. The meetings will start on time. They're very formal. And we'll go into a lot of detail. They're not very motivational, these meetings. He's not going to say thank you. But as a team, we're very efficient. Uh, we pride ourselves on, on well thought through work that's done to a very high standard. Now, here's the interesting bit, right? He, he has a team of about 100 people, just over. And there's about a dozen managers within that team. All of his management team have exactly the same qualities and characteristics as he does. They're almost carbon copies. Not in the way that they look, obviously, but in the way that they act. And they're all pretty much introverts, and they're all pretty much detail people. All his team, that is, except one, which is me. I'm the opposite. I, didn't, I wasn't hired by him. I was hired by someone else, and he sort of inherited me. The person that hired me was much more of an extrovert. She didn't get hung up on details. She liked dealing with people. She, if you met with her, she'd take you for a coffee. You'd have a drink of a coffee or a glass of wine or something like that. She'd talk about your family, ask how you were getting on, all that sort of stuff. And I'm very much like that, as you probably figured out. So I'm very much an outlier in his team. If you look at a sort of circle of introvert, extrovert, analytics, feelings, everyone in his team is up here somewhere. And you can draw a line, and I'm the only one down here. I'm li I literally have a hemisphere to myself. Which kind of worried me a little bit when I first found this out. I was like, oh, if everyone's over here and I'm over here, what the hell am I doing? Should I be, should I be in this role? And as I sort of got used to it a little bit, I, my perspective changed. I sort of realized that, you know, they're my natural tendencies. I can do that. I can be analytical, and I can be efficient, and... You know, I, I know what I'm doing. That's, otherwise, I'd get fired, right, if I didn't, didn't know my job. But in terms of my role within the company, it's quite important because I'm the only balance. And all of a sudden, it became clear to me that if I, if I wasn't there, the meetings would still run on time. They'd still be very efficient and very analytical. But there'd be a whole bunch of stuff they were missing in terms of how people were thinking what issues were sort of manifesting themselves under the surface that weren't being spoken about, what the mood was like, all that sort of stuff. 
And I sort of figured out that that's where I fit in. So I'm very conscious at work of that I have to be the person that I am because if I'm not that person, then no one else will be. It's kind of who I am is incredibly important. And that brings us to the second part of the question. What sort of Christian are you if you're a Christian? And when you think about it, it's kind of the same question, really. It's kind of the same as what sort of a person are you? There are many different type of Christians, and same, there's as many different type of Christians can't speak as there are persons. Um, you get some Christians who are prayer warriors, and they'll be, you know, praying earnestly, and they enjoy their connection with God through prayer. And then there are others who are more worshippers who enjoy song or poetry or, or music. Others engage through Bible study or teaching or fellowship or whatever it might be. Paul says this, remember, he says, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and one has another. In Romans, he says a little bit, he expands this a little bit. In Romans, he says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging him, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, it says this. Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me all, everyone. Chapter 3 of John says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have an eternal life. There's no conditions in God's world. God's for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You can be that person. You can be who you are. And you can do God's work and demonstrate your faith anywhere. There's no rules on this. Um, most of you will know the fruits of the Spirit off the top of your head, just like me. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I didn't read that at all. That was just, you know, top of my head. Um, and at any time, you can be using those gifts, those fruits of the Spirit, and doing God's work. Right. We're going to pause there for two minutes. I'm going to show a video. Tom, if you could show this. This is a preacher called J. John. Um, I don't know if anyone's heard of him. Is there some of the... Some of the, I was going to say some of the younger kids, but yeah, let's say some of the younger kids would have heard of him because he's, he's been around for a little while. Um, there's a little take on what it is, what's Jesus to various different people. Jesus is bread of life so that bakers can understand. <laughs> Jesus is the water of life so that plumbers can understand. Jesus is the light of the world so that electricians can understand. Jesus is the cornerstone so that architects can understand. Jesus is the son of righteousness so that astronomers can understand. Jesus is the hidden treasure so that bankers can understand. Jesus is the life so that biologists can understand. Jesus is, is the great physician so that doctors and nurses can understand. Jesus is the good teacher so that educators can understand. Jesus is the lily of the 
valley so that florists can understand. Jesus is the rock of ages so that geologists can understand. Jesus is the true vine so that horticulturalists can understand. Jesus is the righteous one so that judges can understand. Jesus is the pearl of great price so that jewelers can understand. Jesus is wisdom so that philosophers can understand. Jesus is the word so that actors can understand. Jesus is the good shepherd so that farmers can understand. Jesus is the alpha and the omega so that scientists can understand. Jesus is the king of kings so that royalty can understand. Jesus is the way so that traffic wardens can understand. (laughs) Jesus is the truth so that politicians can understand. Jesus is the resurrection so that funeral directors can understand. (laughs) Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. I was going to read it out, and I'll probably have done a better job, to be fair, but I thought that was quite, quite good. The only acceptance policy is that you're willing to let God into your life and ask for his forgiveness. Outside of that, you can be exactly who you are in Christ. And in fact, more than that, to be the most effective person, you must be exactly who you are in Christ. Be who you are. Second point, be where you are. Paul said this, brothers, sisters, Each man or woman is responsible to God should remain in the situation called to him. In other words, be where you are. Has anyone else asked this question? What's God's will for me? I remember thinking this a lot. So that, I remember that I went to see J. John. He did a series of 10 talks, one talk for each of the 10 commandments. And it was about 20 years ago. And I remember that passage from 20 years ago. That's how impactful it was for me. And I remember thinking a lot when I first became a Christian 20 years ago, when I was 15, that... uh, (laughs) Such a lie. Sorry, couldn't resist. Um, I remember thinking that at that stage, I wanted to change the world. I, I, I wanted to heal the sick. I wanted to evangelize to thousands of people and and pray earnestly. And even at one point, I wondered whether it was God's will for me to become a vicar. Fortunately, for all of us, that thought passed pretty quickly. But the question question of what is God's will for me sort of hung around for, for quite some time. And it's not an easy one to answer. A lot of you will know, we have friends from the church who were called to be vicars. Uh, we've got, I've got other friends who are missionaries. I've got some friends at the moment who are in Afghanistan, mis- being missionaries out in Afghanistan. Um, and they knew that from, like, word go, you know, like from age 15. Uh, other people run Bible studies. Other people lead worship, like Ali did today. By the way, Ali's done a great job today. I, I, I play a little bit of guitar, and I watch Ali play, and I just feel humbled how good he is. So just big up Ali for a second. Um, but it's very easy to compare ourselves and feel kind of a bit crappy, isn't it? 
a bit less worthy? What are, you know? What's God's will for me? Well, here's your answer. This is Paul. This is your answer. Each man is responsible to God to remain in the situation God called them to be. In other words, well, what's God's will for you? Well, right now, it's probably doing what you're doing right now. And rest assured, he'll make it known to you if he wants to do something different. It's really good to dream your job's to be alive to the possibility of doing something different. That's absolutely the case. And to be awake when he comes calling. But you've got to be content with what you're doing right now in the situation that you're in. Right now. Being the person that you are right now. Every job can become Christian work. Everything you do can become Christian work when you realize that your purpose is to honor, serve, and speak out for Christ. So my message to you today is be who you are, be where you are, look for opportunities to serve him as you are. Amen.